All right, that is it for announcements. We are in 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to be finishing out this chapter, verse 16 through 33. Let me kind of catch you up to speed. We're going through this book because I honestly find it helpful uh, for the year of 2021 and just looking at a new way to live, a new way to do life. Here's the context and here's what's going on. Chapter 10 on almost feels like a different book. Some think it's actually a different book. Because Paul's language has changed, he's a little bit more ironic, sarcastic, aggressive. He has to actually call out false leaders, false apostles kind of going into the church. Uh, if you're with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about what does real spiritual authority look like. Last week, we kind of looked, as Paul's kind of given a defense for his apostleship, we looked at um, why, what, what are we all about? Like, what is the church all about? What is Paul all about? What are we all about? And so Paul made it really clear, we're all about Jesus, we're all preaching God's word, character, integrity, love. We want our lifestyle to match our beliefs. Paul kind of said, hey, we're different than those apostles, those false apostles. He actually mocks them and calls them super apostles. So Paul is still kind of giving a defense for his apostleship here. And here's the, the main thought, really. Paul is saying the way of the world, when it comes to success, when it comes to influence, when it comes to boasting, is different than the way of Jesus. We don't boast in our success or influence. We boast in our weakness. We don't boast in our power, we boast in our sufferings. And this is interesting. This is like un uncommon, especially to the Corinthians, even to us and like our world, our culture. And so this is one of those things I was just praying, like, God, what is it you want to do? Um, I cannot wait for next week, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I think just some of the most powerful scripture there is in the Bible, some of the most powerful truths in the Bible. And Paul, it's kind of like blended together. Paul's introducing this thought now where he says, you want to know where my authority comes from? It comes from my lifestyle. It comes from not power, but my failures, my sufferings, my infirmities, all the things I've walked through. And Paul is showing us the way of power and influence for Christians is different than the world. We don't boast in maybe our resume and our accomplishments and who we are, what we've done. In fact, we boast in our weaknesses because then Christ can be seen in a greater way. And I almost want to like I'm hesitate because there's so much more next week I want to get into when it comes to that thought. But I want to walk through really, this is kind of like Paul's journey a little bit. What Paul's walked through for the gospel, what Paul's endured. And here's the funny thing to me. Paul fights fire with fire. Uh, the guys, these false apostles have been boasting. Paul introduced this last week and just said, I'm going to speak foolishly here. And, and Paul actually kind of has to fight fire with fire by boasting. And he's kind of doing it tongue in cheek. He's kind of doing it somewhat resentfully, and he's really trying to show them, like, you're boasting in the wrong things, and your boast is completely misplaced. And so Paul will boast here, but his boasting ultimately is not to reflect his glory, but Christ's glory. And so it might feel strange, it might feel odd when we read it and walk through it, but there's a bigger point and picture here that Paul is trying to make. And so before we even read the text, uh, it's a longer text, verse 16 to 33, I just thought we'd pray, just invite the Lord to be here, that we'd be people who doesn't try to seek out success or influence the way the world might, but that we'd find our strength and our weakness, that we'd find really Christ's strength in our weakness. So why don't we just pray and just invite the Lord to speak and move. So Father, we just want to thank you. Lord, we ask that um, you would accomplish what it is you want to accomplish today. God, that you'd encourage, that you'd convict, that God, if we've been pursuing things outside of you, if we've, been, if we've been boasting in things outside of you, Jesus, that you would just change the direction of that. Lord, I just thank you for this, this group here that loves you. I thank you for this, this church here that Jesus um, desires to know you. God, I just ask that um, you would just pursue our hearts, pursue our motives, our reasoning, 
Jesus, our, our character. Help us just to be more like you in this process, God. We, we just want you to be glorified in this. We want people to see you in a greater way, how this ultimately reflects your suffering for us. So we thank you, Jesus. We look to you now in just your precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, we as Americans, I think, have a weird relationship when it comes to pride and when it comes to boasting. Here's why. On one hand, like, we hate boasting. Like, we hate pride when someone's kind of talking up themselves, their accolades and what they've done, where they've gone, all that they've experienced. We kind of get annoyed and frustrated. But I also think on the same hand, like, we love it because every reality show is usually, like, surrounded around boastful, prideful people. We get caught up in the drama of it. Like, we say we hate it, but in reality, like, we love it. We're obsessed with it. And I think it's funny because there are times, you know, you're around people and it's like, it's like you kind of get that vibe where you're like, they're almost saying like, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. And you're kind of like, like, okay, get that vibe from them. There's other times where you're like, you're with people and you're like, man, I actually want to know their story more. Like, I want to hear their, comp- I want to hear what they've done. Like, I want to know them. You know, I'm going to talk to my buddy a little bit. He's not here this weekend and I was going to ask him for permission, but too bad. Uh, my buddy TJ. He's a guy that serves here faithfully, right? Uh, he serves outside, gets really hot and sweaty in the beginning of the morning. Like it, it's, he serves faithfully. When I first met him, uh, I had to like pull his story out of him. He was so interesting to me. I'm like, who are you? Where are you from? You know, finding out that he was a missionary, a missionary in Africa, in South America, that he's from Ohio, but yet speaks Swahili. I'm like, that's the coolest thing ever. I'm like, bro, you're from Ohio. Like, and you're like, your family lives in Tennessee, and he's in Tennessee or Ohio right now. Hey, buddy. Uh, I'm like, but you speak Swahili. I would tell everyone. Like, everyone would know I speak Swahili if I was me. You know, it's just so funny. I had to, like, pull this information out of him. I'm like, you're fascinating. Like, I want to know more. Like, sometimes there's, like, that humility there, but you're like, please open up. Please tell me more. That's so interesting. Other times, you're like, that's enough. I've kind of heard enough. Like, we, we've, we've created, not him, but others. We've created, I think, though, just a weird, like, humble brag kind of culture. I was trying to, like, do some research on this and look this up because maybe for that phrase, humble brag, this became a literal uh, word, like in our Oxford Dictionary and Webster's Dictionary, humble brag. Uh, This is the definition. When you usually consciously try to get away with bragging uh, bragging about by phrasing it in a phony show of humility. Maybe you've seen some humble braggers. Maybe you've been participating. You're like, oh my gosh, I just humble brag. And it's like, oh, that eats you alive a little bit. Uh, Paul is not humble bragging, kind of, but it's a little bit different. He's not in a phony way. He's intentionally trying to mock it. But I was trying to like look at this. I, I came across, just studying for this, a few humble brag tweets from maybe some are celebrities, some are random people. I didn't put their names on it. But I'm like, let me just read to you some humble brag examples because this is a humble brag. Someone tweeted this. They wrote, I just did something very selfless, but more importantly, it was genuine, and I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Hashtag so worth it. That's a humble brag, right? People do this a lot. Another humble brag. Someone someone posted this. Will Twitter be available for me in Milan or the Maldives? I hope so, because it didn't work in Hong Kong or Singapore. It's a humble brag. (laughs) Last one. Uh, I would be the worst at Price is Right. You know the game show. I'd be the worst at it. I brought $20,000 to buy a monitor. It was $350. Oh my gosh, that's so gross. Humble brag, right? Like I, have to be so, I would be so bad at this. I only have like $20,000 in my pocket. All right. We've seen examples of this in life. And when you read this, when you read this text, especially verse 16 to 21 and what Paul's doing, it almost feels like a humble brag. It's not that. I just want to be really clear. In some ways, he, Paul is mocking it, mimicking it, being sarcastic and kind of ironic. And I want you to understand the language around that. Paul's going, you fell for a lot of humble brags. You, you fell for a lot of boasting. I want to show you what I boast in. I want to show you why I boast in this. I want to show you the point of my boasting. I have to do this, Paul says. So as we kind of walk through verse 16 through 33, I kind of want to break it up into a few different sections just to kind of see what he's doing. First of all, in verse 16 to 21, he's being shameless. 
Then he shares about his sufferings. Then he'll walk through his primary stress. And then lastly, he's going to have a story to kind of exemplify everything he's talking about. So we're going to see shameless suffering, stress, and a story to kind of top it off. All right. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 16, where we just see Paul being shameless for a second. Look at verse 16, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. Paul writes, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, that means they exalt themselves, or strikes you in the face, literally probably referring to that. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. We, we can't do that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Okay, Paul's being shameless here. In some ways, he's being ironic. He's being sarcastic. He's kind of mocking the culture of what's happening in the church. Uh, to put it this way, I think this is like so difficult for Paul. What he's about to do as he gets into his sufferings, I think this is like, Paul's like, I'm going to look like a fool here. Some of the things I'm going to say, some things I'm going to claim, I'm kind of being shameless here. You know, this is not Paul's DNA. Paul's DNA was not to be prideful, was not to boast. We actually studied earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Remember what Paul said? He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Why do you hear that? Paul actually addressed their boastfulness earlier. And he goes, We're not like them. We're not preaching ourselves. He's not to preach himself. He's like, We're not preaching. That's not our hope. That's not our DNA. That's not what I'm about. We're all about preaching Jesus. That's what we're going to be about. That's what I'm about. And Paul, I know what he's about to do next. It's like, it's shameful for him. In some ways, it's like hard for him. But again, he's trying to show them. It's like the irony of it. Like you fell for their boasting. You fell for this. How could you fall for this shameless boasting? And so Paul is kind of being ironic in this. And here's why I'm bringing all this up. There's, this is almost like a motif throughout all of 2 Corinthians. It's really a theme throughout Corinthians, which is boasting, which is just kind of boasting yourself and your works and what you've done and who you are. See, I want you to understand something about Corinth, and just stay with me for a second. Corinth was really all about status. I mean, it was a city that was incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, and you could argue they really cared a lot about status in in many different ways. Now, here's the thing. When people started believing in Jesus in Corinth and said, I want to follow him, but they're kind of all about status, who they are, who they know, what they've done, what they've accomplished, how much money they have in the bank. They've been all about that. Now they're like all about Jesus. It's kind of seeping into the church, that boastful, prideful, successful, you know, that's kind of seeping out into the church. And this is when it gets become, becomes really dangerous. You know, the idea of like when you see religion now, you're boasting in your work, you're boasting in your religion, you're boasting in what you've done. You could actually say it's like worse, it's uglier than maybe how the world might boast in their accomplishments. He's saying this is creeping into the church, like you're falling for this. A couple problems I just want to point out with you guys, because this is something that is not just for them, this is for me, my heart, our heart. There's some problems with this. Here's just the first thought. When you boast, your success becomes the most important thing about you. That was happening to them. It's just, this is who I am. They, they, they were boasting in their success. They found their value in it. On, on the other hand, when you fail that does something to your heart as well. When you fail, you, you, you must feel like I have no value here. I, I, can't, I can't really do anything. I can't really offer anything to anyone because you're kind of making your salvation based off your success or your failure. All, we all kind of fall into this trap. We can base like I have worth and value because of what I do. And when I fail, now I feel like my worth and value is gone. 
Paul's trying to fight against that because he knows how damning it can be when you have success and how damning it be, can be when you have failure. What does that do to your heart? Here's another problem Paul's saying. When you boast, your success is what you start to use to give you meaning. Basically, he's talking about this culture of boasting. He's saying, this is what's giving you meaning and value right now. It's your success that you had in the world. You're bringing it into the church. You're, you're accepting people like this, and you're finding your value, your worth, your meaning. You're finding your whole identity in whether you, success, you have success in life or whether you fail in life. And it truly is just a dangerous trap we fall into. Last thought, the worst part of boasting in a culture of success is not when you fail, but when you make it. You know, if you really think about it, it's not just when you fail, like, oh, I failed, I don't have any value. Sometimes when you make it, you have to fight that. You can think this is repeatable or maybe it's not repeatable. I wrote a, I wrote a book or I did this thing or I went over here and I, I, I became something, I became someone, and then I, you feel like they're to chase that, repeat that, repeat that. You see, the idea is sometimes, like, it's great when you have victory, it's great when you have success, but does that become your meaning? Does that become your value? Does that become your core identity? Paul is basically calling them out on their culture of boasting, pride, success, because here's the problem. Paul doesn't look very successful. Like, their main argument to Paul is, Paul, if you're truly an apostle, why are you constantly being beaten up in prison? Why, like, if you're really chosen by God, your life would not be looking this difficult. And so Paul is saying, no, success looks a lot differently in the kingdom. Now, again, it's not that success is wrong. It's not that you, you did something good and it made it. It's not that that's wrong by any means. But what happens when you succeed or fail? Does that begin to become your main identity, your meaning, your worth, your value? You know, this is interesting when you think about this. They live in a culture where before battle, there was like a lot of boasting. Like this is not just something you see in movies, but think about this. Before any sort of battle, you had to rally the troops. You had to get them together and be like, guys, we're going to take the city. And you know, when we take the city and we take the king, we're going to drink from his skull. And everyone's like, yeah! Like everyone freak out, right? Like you would like, do that. And there's like boastfulness to try to get them to win. And they try to find that, like, okay, we got to hype each other up for us to be successful. And then what happens the hype is gone. And there are cer certain things that, that kind of came with that, that boasting before battle mentality. Here's what Tim Keller wrote and said about this. I thought this was interesting. He says, what God says is the problem with every human heart is you look at your beauty, you look at your smarts, you look at your talent, you look at anything good about yourself. You look at your achievements and you say, I did that. You take credit for it. You see it as your accomplishment. They're gifts from God. You were born with talent. You were born with beauty. They're gifts from God, but you take credit for it. That is the very nature of the human heart. He's saying, beware of this. Just beware that our heart is prone to want to take credit. Don't forget what your boast should be in. Again, there's nothing wrong if someone makes it, they're successful, they're doing well, but he's like, don't forget our heart is prone to find its identity in our success and it's prone to find our identity in its failures and that's where you should not find your identity. Paul will actually call out his ethnicity in a mocking way, actually, to say it's not about this either. It's not about any of this. Our boast doesn't come from our race, our background, our successes, our, our boasting comes from Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is trying to get at, saying, don't miss, you're finding your identity. These people were the Corinthians, these leaders, and their church was falling for it. They're finding their identity in this. And Paul, in a mocking way, has to now boast to kind of pull them out of it. He's like, don't you get it? So I want you to kind of stay with me in the thought. And even to this point, actually, they created a, a really an abusive culture for leadership. Like, if you read this, and I think it's just really interesting, verse 20, he says, if you bear with someone who makes slaves of you, devours you, takes advantage of you, puts on airs, like they're exalting themselves, they strike you in the face, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. What Paul was getting at is, especially in this Jewish culture, there's certain rabbinical kind of temples at that point in time where, like, if you weren't listening well, if you weren't studying well, the teacher would slap you, hit you. And the idea was, like, this was happening. Like, in their mind, this is good. Like, this is a good thing. They're taking advantage of Like, they're boasting themselves, and he says, no, this is not leadership. Paul was so foreign because Paul was a humble leader. They're like, we're not used to this. 
Like we don't, we're, we're used to more of a boastful, prideful, arrogant, abusive type of leadership. In some ways, they thought Paul was weak because he carried himself humbly. This is hard for them to understand this. Paul says in, in a, in a tongue-in-cheek in a way, we were too weak for that. We couldn't do what they did. I wasn't strong enough to hit you in the face. Paul's kind of mocking him saying, hey, listen, you, you've been boasting in some silly things. You've been boasting in like a status kind of, con- and I want you to take your boast on something else. So Paul now is going to boast in his sufferings, and it's, he's just trying to draw something out of them to show kind of how silly boasting is. So let's read verse 22. Just stay with me. Verse 22, point number two, sufferings. Here's what Paul goes on to say. Verse 22, Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I, these false leaders. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that. I'm a better one. I'm, I can't say that only again. I'm talking like a madman. He's being sarcastic, witty, ironic, with far greater labors. Listen to this. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, so 39 beatings five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and you have to clarify today, with rocks. All right, I get that. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardships through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure. Let's just stop there. Paul just walks through a list of his sufferings and he's boasting in that kind of tongue-in-cheek, like I said, kind of ironic, kind of being sarcastic, but he's boasting not in his glory, not in what he's done, but in his suffering. Obviously, the point is boast in your sufferings, not in your success, meaning he's trying to take the credit away from himself. He could have named a different list, which we'll get into. I want to kind of give you two warnings, though. Here's what can happen when we read this text. First mistake is this. Uh, The point is not to praise Paul. I think sometimes we read this text and we're like, wow, Paul. And true, truly, wow, Paul. Paul went through a lot for the gospel. Amazing. We, we need like more leadership that models that. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. But Paul's not trying to get praise for himself, obviously. You'll see this more in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's trying to bring the praise back to someone else. But not only that, listen, uh, the mis- second mistake we make is the point is not to feel guilty that you haven't suffered like Paul. I, I want to make sure that's clear. Paul's not trying to now guilt them and saying, okay, now, now you need to suffer like I've suffered. Obviously, everyone has a I love what Paul wrote in Ephesians. He says, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called. Some people will walk that light and walk worthy. Some people will not walk worthy. But the idea is that we should be willing to. Paul is trying to point out the lifestyle of these false apostles versus his lifestyle. Paul makes it really clear in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, all of those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I, that verse is unbelievable. When you read all the Christian Bible promises, you're like, oh, you know, he makes all things together for good. This is great. And you come across all those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. You're like, oh, I don't like this promise. Um, but th- that is something from the Lord to say, hey, listen, anyone who desires to follow Jesus, this is what it will look like, can look like. But it's not to guilt you and to say, now you should feel shame for that. Paul, again, is trying to show the irony of boasting. And to show, look, at you've been, you fell for this style of boasting. But they've been boasting in the wrong things, truly. You know, this is really interesting to me. When verse 22, when he says, are they Hebrews, so am I. Are they Israelites, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham, so am I. You know what Paul's trying to do here? 
Paul's saying you're coming in boasting maybe in your heritage, who you are, your background. These are Jewish apostles, Jewish believers who said, all right, believe in Jesus and keep the law. Believe in Jesus and get circumcised. Believe in Jesus and keep the Sabbath day holy. And they're going around boasting their heritage. And Paul's like, first of all, I have that. And Paul is constantly throughout the scripture trying to say, your dignity, your value, that doesn't even come from your race or your ethnicity either. See, the whole idea of the cross, which is so beautiful, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, Gentile nor Jew. There's nothing. We're all one in Christ Jesus. The beauty of that is saying we can't boast in these things. We're boasting in Christ. We're boasting in the cross. The cross is truly that great equalizer. The cross shows us we're all equally sinful. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the cross also shows we're all equally loved by God. The cross is so beautiful. It equalizes like everything in our lives. It's saying, yes, all of you, doesn't matter who you are, we've all sinned and done terrible things. Our heart is wicked far from God. Everyone. It equalizes everyone that way. And then the cross also says, but you're also equally loved by God. And Paul's like, I'm, he's boasting in his heritage and I'm mocking some way. Like, really, so am I. My boasting is not in my ethnicity, my heritage, who I am. My boasting, obviously, is we're going to see the point he's making ultimately, comes from Jesus Christ alone. That he's, I'm going to boast in my sufferings because that's when I'm most like Christ. I'm most like Christ when I suffer because Christ suffered. And Paul's trying to point us to something greater and bigger. And I just want our hearts to kind of sit with this for a little bit. I want us to like take this in. Because when I read this list, I'm, I'm, I kind of ask the question, maybe like you, you go, like, why is Paul sharing this? You know, look at this list again. We'll just like put it up in bullet points. Listen to this. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. <laughs> That's crazy. 39 lashings on five different occasions. Three times he's beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. You can read that in Acts 14, just stoned by rocks and literally thought he was dead. Probably was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked and he goes on and on. What, I, what I'm trying to do is, I, I have that discussion with Paul. Why is Paul saying this? I think Paul is trying to make something really clear. Paul's like, I'm not playing games here. Paul's like, I'm not playing around. This is real for me. I think we have to take that to heart. When it comes to following Jesus, I think the, obviously the proof, is, the proof is in the pudding, that kind of mentality. Paul is just saying, this is real for me. I really believe this. I really believe that Jesus Christ, I'm willing to suffer anything for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Paul's like, I really believe this. This is something I'm all about. Again, this is one of those things that Paul's trying to impart to the followers of Jesus in Corinth. Like, are you about success and what the world says about success? Or are you about Christ and the way of Jesus, which will look different than the way of the world? Paul's pointing out such a different mentality here. He's not playing games. When I read verse 27, listen to this. He says, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I mean, that list, I, for me, because I'm just reading this list, I'm like, the hardest thing has to be just in hunger often and sleepless nights. I'm like, just as a parent, I'm like, there's nothing more difficult than this. The point is, I'm such a wimp sometimes when it comes to following Jesus. Here's what we're like today. We're like, uh, it's raining outside. I guess we can just watch online, you know? Like, we kind of have this mentality, like, it's kind of hot today. Who wants to get dressed up when it's hot? Like, we have such this, a different mindset. Paul's like, I'm willing to go through anything when it comes to following Jesus. Doesn't matter. Our mentality today is much different, I think, than followers of Jesus then, obviously. And Paul's just pointing this out, like, this is a real thing for him. Doesn't matter. This is really real for him. Alan Redpath says, one week of such living, and we would be done. But Paul went through it for a lifetime and glorified in his infirmities. You see, I want us to get this church. God values different things than we do. God just values different things than we do. Like we value what the Corinthians valued. Those leaders that came in were very charismatic. They're winsome. They're attractive. They had all the worldly prestige. They come into the church and Paul's like, that's great. That's not, but they're boasting in the wrong things. 
they're, they're making about themselves. We're, we, pre- we preach Christ. We're going to focus on Jesus. We're not going to get sidetracked here. There's a temptation, like we talked about last week, to get sidetracked into all this, and Paul just pointed this out over and over again. Can I just point out the fact that Paul has a lot he could have boasted, like he could have boasted in? Paul could have boasted in a lot. We get that, right? Like, Paul could have said some pretty profound things about, yo, that's legit. Like, like, Paul's a beast. Like, we get that. Paul could have said this. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, Paul could have said, I've written more books, planted more churches, done more miracles. I have established more churches. I have preached the gospel in more lands and to more ethnic groups. I have traveled more miles. I have won more converts. Uh, I, again, I've written more books. I said that again. Um, does that ever repeat itself? Oh, I've written more books. I've raised more money. I've dominated more councils. I have walked with God more fervently and seen more visions. I have commanded the greatest crowds and performed the most spectacular miracles. Paul could have said that. I mean, it's absolutely true. He's like, yo, I wrote most of the New Testament. I've planted most churches. Like, I've done way more. My, my miracles, like my handkerchiefs have healed people. Like, Paul could boast in so many different things. And that's not what he boasts in. I just want us to get that. Paul easily could have boasted in all those things he's done, how successful he was, because he was successful. We don't want to downplay how successful he was, but to their eye, you're beaten, you're abused, you're shipwrecked. You can read the book of Acts, like, Paul, you went through so much. Are you really successful? Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to boast in that. I'm going to boast in that. And obviously, we'll see more, again, like I said, in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's like, I want to boast in that, though, because the way up is down. The way, the way down, well, that, that might lead you up. The, the whole point he's saying is, I, I want to boast in something different than the world boasts in. See, here's the thing I see from this text. Guys, when you read verse 22 through 27, we see that God values faithfulness. Like, God just really values people who say, you know, I'm going to endure. I'm going to go through it. You know, there's something about someone who says, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. And in their heart or in their spirit, they say, though none go with me, so I will follow Jesus. God, on my public campus, in my university, in my job, in my workforce, though none want to follow you, that whatever platform I have, wherever God has placed me, though none go with me, this, this might not help my cause, this might not grow my brand, this might not grow my business, that might not help in any way, but you know what, if none go with me, so I will follow you, Jesus. Obviously, God values different things. Paul is showing us, listen, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to endure, I'm going to walk through this, because let's be honest, let's look at this response. All these things Paul went through, what would your response and my response be? Like if I truly experienced like a fraction of what Paul experienced, you really have two options. I mean, here's the either or option. One is this, you react to suffering by becoming bitter, self-indulging, and you ultimately turn your back on Jesus, or you allow God to use suffering to transform our lives into the image of Jesus. This is what Paul's doing. Paul could have got bitter he said, you know what, Jesus? I've been there for you. You haven't been there for me. I'm going to do whatever I want now. He could have self-indulged. He could have turned his back on Jesus. But you know what? Instead, he goes, you know what, Jesus? used the suffering to make me more like you. What did Paul say in Philippians 3.10? Paul says that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, and then what? And the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus. But do I also want to know the fellowship of his sufferings? Paul's like, there's something about sufferings that makes me more like Jesus. There's something about community and sufferings. There's something about when you go through it, you go, I can now relate to Jesus and others way greater than I ever could have. And Paul's boasting not in his successes, because he could have, but he's boasting in his sufferings. And there's something absolutely beautiful about this. And, it, and I want you just to get this. When you read Paul's list, and just stay with me for a second, Paul went through persecution from every side. Like, there was not a side that didn't persecute him. Two things I want to put out. Look at this verse, verse 26. He says what? Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, and danger from false brothers. Another time, if you caught this list, this was really interesting. He says 39 lashings five different times, three times beaten with rods. 
actually, this is really showing Paul was saying, I was beaten by the religious community, and I was also beaten by the progressive or pagan community. This is very interesting. The gospel offended everyone. Like, the religious people beat him five different times. The 39 lashings on five different occasions, that's a Jewish thing. That's a religious thing. That was the religious leaders of his time saying, Paul, we don't like the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus, and so they persecuted him. At the same time, you have the Romans, more the progressive community when it comes to sexuality and everything else, but the idea is like they also wanted to beat him. They didn't like the gospel either. See, the gospel is really interesting what it does. It, it, it kind of says, listen, this is not a left or right thing. I'm just following Jesus here. It actually offended everyone. Everyone wanted to beat up Paul. It's like, Paul, we want you to be this way. I'm not that way. I'm the way of Jesus. Why can't you be more like this? I just, I'm Jesus. Like the, the point is, it's interesting. The gospel will ultimately offend everyone at some point in time. It just does. For those who just are, are all law, the gospel of grace and love will be incredibly offensive. For those who are all liberty and do what you want, the gospel of truth will be very offensive. The gospel just ultimately offends everyone. Paul's like, I'm just being beat up by everyone. My own countrymen, Gentiles, Jew, it doesn't matter who you are. I just, the gospel of Jesus will offend everyone ultimately. But here's, what, again, what Paul is, is showing us is saying, and it's worth it. Paul's saying, and I'm going to boast in this. I'm going to focus on this. You know, it's really interesting about this. Caesar Augustus, before Paul's time, actually would, would write, and he did on many, on many Roman cities, which Corinth was one, he'd write all of his accolades and what he conquered, really on, you could say, on the pillars, on the walls, on certain temples. You'd see it to Caesar Augustus, and there'd be a list of everything they did. Uh, what was this called? Uh, there is, I can't say it in Latin, so we'll put it up here. It was just the deeds of the divine Augustus. You try to read that in Latin, go ahead. But see, you'd see this, and then it'd be like a list of all of the accolades. And I think it was like 35 things or something mentioned that he did. The point though, Paul's like, listen to my list. It's different than the world's list. It's different than how you might perceive it. Really, the, the point or summary is in verse 30. We'll jump ahead for a second. Verse 30 says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I'm going to boast, don't you get what I'm doing here? I'm going to boast of the things that reveal my weakness. Because ultimately, we can never have the attention be on man because men will come and go. Men will succeed and men will fail, but Jesus Christ endures forever. And so he's trying to get his eyes off of himself and onto something so much bigger in the process. So Paul lists his sufferings. He's being shameless. He lists his sufferings. And now I want to point this out. Paul shares, though, the greatest suffering he experienced, the greatest stress in his life. He literally uses the word anxiety. Look at verse 28. Paul's like, this is the greatest stress of my life. Verse 28, Paul says it this way. He says, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. Paul is saying, amongst all these other things that I've gone through, the hardest thing for me is just how I feel towards the church, the stress and the anxiety, how my heart feels for the church. This is the hardest thing for me. This is really interesting. Some people are like, did Paul see anxiety? I thought we were supposed to be anxious for nothing, but all things prayer. Yes, he wrote that as well. I get it. But Paul is basically saying, you know what? Honestly, the thing that weighs on me the most is my concern for all the churches. How are you doing? How are they doing? Are they still walking with Jesus? I mean, like we shared, shared this last week. It's in Acts 20 with the Ephesian elders. And he's like, guys, I'm going to leave. Savage wolves are going to come in. Paul says, the hardest thing for me is just my concern, their spiritual life and walk with Jesus. I just want to know once I'm gone, once I leave this earth, that they're still walking with Jesus. Like Paul's concern of concerns was the churches and their spiritual health. 
This is so beautiful. Because listen, we all have anxieties and stresses and fears. And we, yes, we get it. We want to be in prayer. We want to surrender those to the Lord. But what if we actually had the right stress over the right things? I think I stress over the wrong things so much. So much. It's so funny. Sometimes I find myself and I'm like, why am I stressing over like the most ridiculous thing ever? Like I'll find myself, I don't even want to give examples. But my mind is, I'm just stressed over things. I'm like, how am I stressing over this? Like how is this a big deal? Paul's like, you don't want to know my greatest stress? My greatest anxiety? It's the concern for all the churches. This weighs on me the most. How are you doing? I mean, parents, do you get this? I'd say, you think the greatest stress or concern is, I just want my kids to walk with Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus. I want them to have a life set apart for God. I don't want them to give into sin or temptation or the flesh. Like my greatest concern, you could say, is for my kids. This is Paul's pastoral heart for his kids. You know, when people ask me, just how can I pray for you? I'm always like, you can pray for my wife and kids. Like that's really how you can pray for me. My son's at home with sick, and so my wife's with him. Um, but then people are like, how can I pray for you? I'm like, that my kids would grow up loving Jesus, not becoming bitter, follow him, pursue him. How can I pray for you? Pray for my kids. The greatest stress, concern. You know, when I, you look at this church, or when we get prayer meetings, we pray, we're praying for people individually or by name or just the future. Or we see people go down a path that we're like, oh God, don't let them keep going down that path. Don't let them keep making these same decisions. And you could say, hopefully, the greatest concern or stress is not, will we make budget? Will we do this? It's, will they be walking with Jesus? And this is like the hope. Paul goes, this is my greatest concern, that you would know Jesus, that you'd walk with him, that you not get caught up in the things of the world, that you not lose sight of Jesus. This is the, what's weighing on Paul the most. He goes, this is what it should look like. You're boasting in some other things, let me boast in this. Paul's mimicking, mocking, being sarcastic a bit, but it's obviously at the same time his heart's being revealed of what really matters. And Paul says, this is my greatest stress, my greatest concern. Alan Redpath says, Paul could not have used a stronger word when he said, in effect, that which bears me down, that which is upon me as an uh, intolerable load, that which is a burden, that which is something that I can never shake off day or night. It is with me always. I have no vacation for it ever. It is upon me daily, the care, the compassion, the concern for all the churches. He's like, Paul used the strongest word he could use to convey the idea that this is the hardest thing and the heaviest thing on his heart. Paul would later write in Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The point I'm raising when I bring this verse up is Paul is saying, I just want to see Christ formed in you. Moms, you've experienced labor. I've just been more of a bystander looking there, just helpless, holding my wife's hand going, I can do nothing. But when I see the labor of that, like, oh my gosh, the labor that it takes to produce a child, to birth a child, and you're standing, for me, I'm standing there helpless. But I look at that and Paul says, that's the best analogy I can use. I want to labor, like I'm laboring, I'm I just want to see Christ formed in you. I just want to see Jesus in you. This is the great concern and stress upon me. It's just seeing you, seeing you follow Jesus, Christ being formed in you. This is the great stress. And then lastly, Paul uses a story to kind of boast in his foolishness. Now, this is interesting. Paul's going to use a story out of Acts 9 where Paul's lower down of a basket. And I just want you to read with me because this is the most random ending to me. I don't know why. I just, when you read this, you're like, Paul, what are you getting at? And I think it's actually incredibly profound. So stay with me. Uh, verse 30, Paul then goes on to say, number four, this story. Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eridus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to, to, to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. The end. All right, this is such a weird, strange story to me that Paul uses to kind of communicate sufferings, weakness, this is actually really fascinating to me. If, if you remember that story when Paul's lowered in a basket, I don't know. I, there's like little children's songs that are going through my mind right now that we used to hear. Anyways, um, 
this story is really interesting. It's in Acts chapter 9. Paul, remember this, Paul was Saul. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute and kill Christians. Paul is on his way to Damascus where Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his high horse essentially, and says, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? And so Saul goes blind. If you remember, he's sitting in this house blind for a few days. God shows up to Ananias and says, Ananias, I've chosen this guy, Paul. He's actually going to go and represent me before kings. And I'm going to show him all the things he must suffer for my name's sake. Really interesting. Paul was promised suffering. He's like, he's going to stand before kings. Like, we all like that first part. Like, so cool. He's going to have influence. Stand before kings. And he's going to suffer all these things for my name. You're like, ugh. Right? And then, so God says that. And Ananias goes, prays over him. He becomes a believer in Jesus. He's following Jesus. He actually goes to Damascus, the city he was there to persecute and kill Christians. And he's like, believe on Jesus. And everyone's like, what is going on? Like, they heard of this guy. I thought you were coming here to kill us. He goes into Damascus. He's preaching the gospel. The Jews did not like this at all. They're like, weren't you here? Like, did you have a letter to go kill and persecute them? But now you're preaching Jesus? And so they're waiting at the gate in Acts 9. You can read, they're waiting at the gate every, every morning, every night to season. They want to see Paul leave the city. They want to get him and just stab him really quick and so he dies. They wanted to do it. They want to end his life. So the disciples get together and they go, uh, so I guess you're a believer now. Yeah, I'm just one. So they get him. They put him in a basket. They lower him down. Now you're like, what's the point of that story? What is, what is that? What is Paul trying to get at? Paul's, it's really interesting. I really do think this on a couple different ways. Paul's like saying again, the way up is down. It's really funny to me. There was something specifically known in Corinth, but really all of the Roman Empire, listen, stay with me. There was a crown specifically given to people who would actually go, when there came to battle and a siege, they'd go and climb over a wall. The first one to breach the wall and stay alive would get a specific crown. The first person to do that would get this crown, and just bear with the name, it was called the Corona Morales. Not, not, not coronavirus, the Corona Morales. It was the crown of the wall. It was the walled crown. This was a real thing. You can find this on coins. You can find this on pillars. The first person to breach a city by climbing over the wall, you know, take out the guy so the rest of the people can get in. I mean, it's a very brave thing. You think about oil, different hot, you know, liquids being poured on people, arrows, all of that. I breached the wall. I survived the wall. Battle's over. We won. It's our city. You get the Corona Morales. Um, it just sounds so weird right now. But you get the Corona Morales. And it was like, wow, you are, this was a specific, it was like the highest honor you could receive in battle was the Corona Morales for those who, you know, attacked a city or besieged a city. Now, I find this interesting because that was when I'm going over the wall. This was their boast. On Corinth, they found on pillars this inscription of the Corona Morales and breaching the city and climbing over the walls. And Paul saying to the Corinthians, I didn't climb any walls. I went down a wall. Mine wasn't. It's like the anti-Corona Morales. You think this is where the glory comes from. It didn't come from that. You know, it, it actually, uh, Paul is claiming an upside-down Corona Morales. And, and just the idea of this is Paul saying, again, you think you got to scale the walls you think you got to go high, go low. You know, I thought I had to persecute. I thought I had to, kill, I thought I had to do these things. And in reality, it was, not, it was not the way. I thought I had to dominate people through power, but it's really through servanthood. It's really going to be me through taking the lower route. See, Paul is just saying everything you boast and everything you care about, it's backwards. I mean, we got to get this, obviously, for today, for 2021. Everything we boast, everything we care about, everything we want to watch and idolize, it's, it's backwards. The way up is down. Jesus said, you want to find your life, you got to lose it. 
You see, the whole point is, Paul is constantly trying just to introduce to us Jesus. Paul is boasting his sufferings to say, hey, listen, these sufferings that I've walked through, you understand that it just points to a bigger person, Jesus, who suffered way more, that Jesus showed us that the way up is down. He left heaven. He came to earth. He became a man. He was rejected by his own. He was beaten and spat upon and rejected and homeless. And yet, because Jesus became low, we get to go high. Because Jesus took on the sin of the world, we get to now have intimacy in heaven and relationship with him. His, his whole thing is, this is where the power lies, where we're missing the point here. I actually love how G. Campbell Morgan, a great author, said about just this story in Acts 9 and this passage. He says, it illustrates with power the contrast between Saul of Tarsus and Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus traveled to Damascus full of man's power and authority, directed against God's people. Paul the Apostle left Damascus humbly in a basket. He thought this is the way to do it. To do it. And he said he left humbly in a basket. Again, if you want to find your life, you must lose it. The way up is down. Paul's like, I'm going to boast in things you're not used to. I'm going to reveal my weakness because the power relies in our weakness because that's where Christ is made strong. And then Paul's going to get into something next week in 2 Corinthians 12. Fun facts, I just want to kind of share it really quick. Paul's going to talk about being caught up into heaven. And it's so interesting. You see him going down, being caught up. You just see this idea constantly. Paul's like, I went down humbly. But in 2 Corinthians 12, we'll see, but I was caught up into heaven. There's this idea of going down leads to going up. It's just something that constantly we see throughout the scriptures, that the humble, the humble receive it. That God's like, I, I, I've exalted the humble, and I've torn down the pride, the prideful. It's just co- constantly different than the world. Here's the thing, and here's why I'm just praying for us in our church, like as we're studying, like, why are we going through this? God is trying to show us, I value different things. I value different things than the world does. I, I would just beg for you, to take this mentality of Paul saying, you know what? I'm going to boast in my weakness. Though none go with me, still I'll follow Jesus. Though none want part of this, I'm going to endure the hard thing. That, you know what? Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. There are many who go and buy it. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's that narrow way. It's that narrow gate. It's difficult. It's painful. It's hard. But it leads to life. It leads to broadness. Broadness leads to death. Narrow leads to life. There are few who find it. He goes, I'm going I'm to fall. I'm going to boast in this. I'm going to boast in the sufferings. This is what it's about. I just want to invite Jesus. I just want to worship. I just want to respond. I just want to remember the one who suffered the most. I just want to remember the one who says, you know what? I too bore a crown, but a crown of thorns. I too suffered. I didn't get the corona moralis. I got, I got the crown of thorns. Place on my school. Because by my stripes you're healed. Because by the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus is the greater than Paul. He's the greater than Paul that says, you suffer, because really it reminds us of Christ's suffering. We suffer not because we have to, not to get saved, but it reminds us I get to partake in the fellowship of sufferings. I get to know Jesus in a greater, more intimate way. And so we, we look at to Jesus now, the one who suffered, the one who went through it all, so we can have relationship with him. So we just bow our heads for a second. Close your eyes. Take in a second just to say, Lord, I want to boast in my weakness. I want to boast in your strength. I want to boast in your grace. I want to say in my heart today, Jesus, if none go with me, I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to choose the broad path. I'm going to choose the narrow path. I'm not going to choose the easy way. I'm going to choose your way because your way leads to life. And it's far greater. It's far better. So take a second. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. But I just want to give you a second just to kind of confess and surrender to Jesus and just talk to Jesus about this. Father, we just want to thank you that you gave your, your best, you gave your son, that he bore that crown of thorns 
So we, could Jesus have your righteousness, your crowns given to us, what, what your word says, the crown of life for the one who endures persecution, suffering. Jesus, we thank you that Paul displayed this. God, help us not get caught up in maybe what the world values, God, or what the world looks to. We want to value what you value. God, we want to value just the way of Jesus. We thank you that you have showed us what true success is, what it looks like. God, I just pray that in my heart, our heart, that we not find our value or meaning in our success or in our failures, but that we'd find our value and meaning in you, Jesus, and what you've done, that we'll boast. Paul said, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'll boast in the cross of Christ, and that is our boast today. God, we boast in the cross of Christ. That is where we boast. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, God, that you are not immune to suffering or pain, that you suffered for us and with us, alongside of us. God, we thank you so much. We want to boast in your sufferings because that gives us life. So God, we just want to praise you now. We want to thank you now. We want to look to you now, Jesus. We just want to worship you and say you are good in your name. Amen.